Morning, everybody. If you could turn to your Bibles, we're reading out of the NIV. We're in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, and it's called the Great Commission. So it's verses 16 to the end. Matthew 28. It's on page 1000 if you have one of the church Bibles. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our second reading is over there in Second Peter. If you're not sure where Second Peter is, it's after First Peter. <laughs> and it's on page 1227 in the Church Bible. So it's Second Peter chapter 3. And just the first nine verses. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is his coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as if since the beginning of the creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluded and uh, destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts this morning. Thanks, Shane. Well, uh, you need to keep uh, both those passages handy. So if you've you know, lost one, just have a quick little scramble. Uh, Matthew 28 and uh, 2 Peter 3. Uh, you know, stick a bit of paper or a finger in there. You'll also find inside your outlines uh, a little outline. Uh, sort of follow along. Uh, on the back, you can see sort of where we've come so far uh, as we've been thinking about God's kingdom, God's people and place and God's rule and blessing. Uh, and on the inside, you can kind of see that uh, chart and timeline of the whole story. Well, let, let us uh, kick off by praying. Heavenly Father, thank you for your wonderful word. And Lord, we pray that by it this morning, we may know you better, love you more, and give praise to you as we grow in faith 
and trust in your word. Amen. Well, 1,990 years is a long time. It's been 1,990 years since Jesus walked out of his tomb in AD 33. 1,990 years since he defeated death and the devil at the cross. 1,990 years since Jesus was crowned king at his coronation service. On that day, he was crucified. 1,990 years since he said, don't worry guys, I'll be back soon to bring my kingdom to completion. It's been 1,990 years of wars and floods and famines and earthquakes and genocides and slavery and sickness and death. 1,990 years of waiting. Well, as Andrew asked, why? Why this gap? Why the waiting? Why didn't he bring the kingdom in fully when he rose? Why is there this huge delay between when he came and he conquered and between when he will return and will complete? Why are we still stuck here in this mess, waiting for the mess to be completely done away with? Well, it's not a new question, really. Pretty much straight away after Jesus went back to heaven and disappeared up through the clouds, people started asking the question, well, hang on, why? Why is he gone? Why hasn't he finished things now? Why is there a gap? Why has he left us in this cursed and broken world? Well, thankfully, Jesus gave us an answer. He hasn't left us guessing. And that's really good for us because actually we are in this gap. So far as we've followed our, uh, our timeline, uh, we've been looking way back in the past, in the past, in the past. But now, as we come to the present kingdom, we're actually looking at the present, uh, the proclaimed kingdom. We're looking at now, the time that we live in. And we need to understand the answer to these questions. We need to understand why this gap is here so that we can understand our place in this big story, so we can understand our purpose in God's plans and the part that we play in his kingdom. Now, you see there on our uh, outline, uh, we've got the three points. Uh, you'll notice the first one's bigger because we spend most of our time there, uh, and the last two will just be brief. First, we see the reason for the gap is this is the time for salvation. So uh, flick your Bibles back there to 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 8. So right near the end of our Bibles. 2 Peter, chapter 3, and verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So Jesus left a gap between his resurrection and the end, so that many, many, many more people can be saved and enter his kingdom. And um, 
I grew up in Sydney, uh, many of you will know, uh, and I used to catch a train every day to get to high school. Uh, you guys complain driving more than 15, 20 minutes in Adelaide. I used to take an hour, I get a bus and a train and a bus just to get to school and back each day. Um, and uh, after a little while, you kind of get used to the rhythms and the patterns uh, on the bus, uh, on the train. Uh, you kind of get used to how long it is between each station uh, and how long the whole trip is and, and how long it takes for people to get off and then on and the doors to close and the train to keep moving. Uh, and any time that rhythm's broken, you're not kind of thinking about it, but you notice in your subconscious. And so sometimes you'd be sitting there on the train and you've stopped at the station, the doors open, the people get off, people get on, and then you're waiting and, and you suddenly realise, well, hang on, the doors haven't beeped and the doors haven't closed and the train hasn't moved. You know, what, what are we doing here? Why, why has the rhythm been broken? Why are we waiting? And then you look up to see why and then sure enough, there's some poor person, you know, running down the stairs 10 at a time, you know, racing and there's a lovely, you know, really kind train guard who's, who's waiting for this one person so they don't miss out. Uh, now, I was always really thankful when I saw the guards do that because I was often the person running down the stairs trying to get on the train. Uh, and so I was really thankful for the guard who would, you know, just hold the doors open just that little bit longer so that I didn't miss my train. See, we are those passengers and Jesus is like that guard holding the doors open so that more and more people can come on, come into his kingdom, can receive salvation. And you think about it. If Jesus hadn't left this gap, if when he rose, then and there, bang, new heavens, new earth, destroyed the devil, we would not be part of that kingdom. Actually, none of the few billion people in the last 1,990 years who have heard the message of Jesus and been saved, none of them would be part of God's kingdom. The kingdom wouldn't have spread beyond Jerusalem. The kingdom wouldn't include people from all tribes and tongues and nations. See, the gap is good. Jesus is holding the doors open because now is the time for salvation. But the doors won't be open indefinitely. What, what, what happens when the doors close? Well, have a look at verse 4. The scoffers say, Where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. In other words, what's Jesus changed? Nothing. Nothing's changed. He's not coming back, they say. Verse 5. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water. So they forget that the same God who said, I am coming soon, is the God who said, let there be light. The same God who said, I'm coming back, is the God who said he was coming in the first place. Verse 6, they also forget that by these waters also, the world back in the day was flooded and destroyed. See, they forget that God, the same God who said, I am coming soon, is the God who actually said, let the world be destroyed. Verse 7, 
By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. What Peter's saying to us here is that the same God who created the world by his word has given his word that he's coming back. And when he comes back, he will destroy this broken and cursed and wicked world. He will punish all who are traitors, who have committed treason against him, who have rejected him as king. Well, how do we know? Well, Peter says right there, he's already done it once. He flooded the world and made a new start. But that was just a warning shot. The first time was a flood, the next time will be fire. The next time will be the real deal. Complete destruction to be completely remade, to be made completely perfect. But more on that next week. So why is there a gap? Because judgment is coming. And God wants more and more people to get on the Jesus train. To turn from their sinful, self-ruling, God-rejecting lives and to accept Jesus free and come to him and find eternal life. We don't know how long these doors will be held open for. We don't know when the whistle or actually the trumpet will blow and those doors of salvation will close. But we do know that God is patient. God is not willing that any should, punish, uh, should perish. He wants people to be saved. And so this whole era of history, this whole mess that we live in, as the mess and the curse and the suffering and the wars and the sickness and the death keeps going on and on and on, it will not go on forever. And it doesn't go on without meaning. It's not pointless. It's not just some purposeless painful waiting game it's here for a reason it's actually a gracious wonderful essential stage in God's plan for his kingdom to allow his kingdom to grow and grow and grow as people from all nations hear the message of Jesus and repent and are saved what a gracious gracious God the gap is good because it's a time for salvation. Now this is this is one of those totally life-changing realizations, isn't it? When we realize that this isn't just some meaningless, pointless moment to endure without purpose or reason. When we realize that the only reason why we are here now, why the world is continuing as it is, is so that more people can be saved. That totally transforms the way we see our lives. Our purpose here on this earth at this moment in time for salvation history. Now back in Sydney on the train, uh, some people get angry when the guards held open the door. Sometimes you'd even hear them call out, shut the door, let them get the next one. And I always felt a bit upset about that, you know, partially because I was the guy that was often late and I was quite happy about him holding it open. 
or her. See, sometimes these people were on the train, they didn't care if someone else missed out. But actually, when we know there's only one train, there's not another train coming. And those who miss out, miss out for all eternity. And that the whole reason why we're sitting on the platform waiting for Jesus to come back is so that more people can get on and be saved from that horrible judgment of fire. We realise that we have a purpose. Well, you've got your finger uh, in Matthew 28 there. Keep a finger in uh, 2 Peter 3, but flick back to Matthew 28 and verse 18. Matthew 28, 13. Sorry, 18, 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I have been crowned king. I am the king of kings of all the earth. So therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, If you're here this morning and, and you aren't on the train, if you haven't turned to God and said, actually, God, I've lived my whole life as your enemy. I've tried to rule my own life. I've tried to be my own king. I've rejected you and I'm sorry. I realise Jesus is king. I realise he's died for me in my place and that the only way I can come to you, the only way I can get on the train is by trusting that he has done everything and taken my sin and that you just forgive me freely even though I am a filthy human being. If you haven't done that, I want if I, if I thought it would help, I would get down on my knees right now and I would beg with you to do that right now. Don't miss the train. It's a free ride. Leave behind your pride and come humbly and, and ask for forgiveness. But if you're someone who has trusted your life to Jesus in his death, you are on that train And do you think Jesus has called us to just sit quietly on that train and with our heads in our phones or doing our knitting and, you know, just kind of nonchalantly looking at, oh, yeah, look at all those people out there, they're not on the train. No. If we spend our lives like someone on a train who's just in their own little world, who's kind of blocked out the rest of the world around them, or maybe someone sitting on the train with their friends just having a grand old time, not caring at all about the people who are off the train. We spend our our lives here focused on on earthly achievements and careers and and security and our families and and our own kind of self-actualization and pleasure. And if we spend our life on those things, do you see how that does not fit with the time that we're in, when the purpose of what God is doing with the whole reason for why the train's still in the station and why there is this gap. He's holding the door open for people to be saved and for people, these Christians, new Christians, to be established in the faith. And this can only happen if the kingdom is proclaimed. See, our job individually and collectively 
as God's people is to make disciples. We see there in Matthew 28, there's two part. The first is to make disciples, baptising them. And so that first part is that we call to the people outside the train. Come, get on board, get on the train. You're going you're to be destroyed if you don't. You're going to miss out. There's not another train coming. Jesus is the only way. Get on. We invite people in. We call it mission, evangelism, whatever. That's the first part. And the second part is that actually to each other on board, we encourage and strengthen each other. We teach each other to keep obeying everything Jesus has commanded us. See, a little bit like those impatient Sydney commuters, we've got this tendency to get a bit fidgety, you know, when the train's not... Hasn't, hasn't left. When we feel like it's taking too long, we can kind of check our watches and go, come on, God, what's going on? Hurry up already. We can be tempted to look out of the train at the people laughing and playing and they look carefree, they look like everything's great. We can be tempted to doubt that this train actually is ever going to go anywhere, that Jesus is ever going to come back, that it's even worth the wait. We can be tempted to want to jump off because sometimes life looks better off the train. Sometimes life looks better not following Jesus, living for ourselves, focusing on all those things. We need to remind each other those things don't last. Those things end in destruction. This train is bound for glory. Jesus is coming. He's not being slow. Hang in there. Keep trusting. It is all of our job to make disciples, all of our job to teach and encourage each other to continue as disciples. That is why we are here. That is why this whole period of time exists. And that's why I'm never going to stop banging on about it. Because actually the whole story shows us that that is our purpose for being here. The big story shows us that our place in the whole story of the kingdom, in this time when the doors are open, is to be people who proclaim his kingdom to those inside, to those outside. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 says that we are to be ministers of reconciliation, pleading with people to be reconciled to God. Ephesians 4.15 tells us to, to speak the truth to each other in love so that we all grow up in Christ. 1 Peter 2 tells us to live such godly lives among the pagans that they will see our good deeds and glorify God. 1 Peter 3 tells us to be always prepared to give a gentle and respectful answer to anyone who asks about the hope that we have. Why are you on this train? Be prepared. And Philippians 2 tells us to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vanity. And so much of what we do is out of vanity. So much of my projects and my to-do list and the things I do on my days off and in the evenings and so much of it is just vanity and stuff that's just going to go up in a puff of smoke. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vanity, but value others above yourselves don't do anything in our own interest, but what's best for the interests of the others with the same attitude of Christ Jesus, 
who gave up his place in heaven and sacrificed himself. Why? So that others could be saved. Friends, the whole story of the Bible tells us that our place in this story is not to waste the time that we have to join with Jesus in this glorious mission of calling people on the train, the train of salvation in Jesus through repentance and faith. There's a time for salvation. Now, I said that was a long one, but it wouldn't be a complete picture of this time, this era of salvation history, if I didn't just mention two other characteristics of these last days. Uh, Two, it is a time for endurance. Uh, So flick back there to 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3 and verse 3. Above all, you must understand that in these last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He has promised. Now we know that Actually, Jesus and the apostles promised us far more than just scoffing. (laughs) Scoffing, yeah, we feel that, don't we? It's hard not to listen when people say, what are you doing? Are you wasting your time with Jesus? You're wasting your life. He's not coming back. You're not going to be born again. You're not going to be raised to life after you've died and turned to dust. That's crazy. That's hard. But actually... We were promised that there will be far, far more. That actually we live in a full-on war. Not only will people attack Christ's church, not only will people call evil good and good evil, not only will people condemn us for following Jesus and, and encourage those who outwardly engage in all sorts of sin and immorality. Jesus said, they hate me, so they will hate you. They'll ridicule us, they'll try and entice us off, they'll try and drag us off and beat us off. But it's also a spiritual battle. The snake, right back in the beginning, who hated God's people, who wanted to see them kicked out of God's place, out of God's blessing, who wanted to see them dead, he is still in this world at work. And all the spiritual forces of evil are against us. They've drawn a target on us and doing everything they can to take us out from trusting Jesus. It is a time for endurance because it's a time when we will be attacked for following Christ. And we still go through all the same pain that everyone goes through. The heartbreak, the grief, The sickness, the death. Life won't be perfect until Christ returns. We need to endure. Now this would actually be impossible on our own. And actually so would the mission. These are two impossible things if we didn't have help. Which is why, our last point, it's the time for the Spirit. See, a divine mission needs divine intervention. And endurance in a battle against our own self, our own sinful desires, and against the spiritual forces at work in the world, needs supernatural spiritual power. If you turn back to 
Matthew 28 and verse 20, have a notice of what Jesus said. Halfway through that last verse, Jesus said, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, Jesus returned to heaven and promised he wouldn't leave us as orphans. He wouldn't abandon us, but he gave us his spirit. He actually said, it's better for you if I go, because then my spirit will come and be in you. I won't just be with you where, you know, we can run into each other when we see each other, but I will be in you permanently, 24-7, 100% of the time, helping you in this mission, helping you to endure. See, we are God's people. You can fill that out on the little chart on the back of your outline. We now are God's people who have trusted in Christ. And we have the blessing of being saved and the blessing of being brought into his mission as partners in what he is doing. Where one day in eternity we can look around at this uncountable multitude of people from every tribe and tongue and nation praising God and we'll be able to look back and go, actually, I got to be part of that. And we live in God's rule, the rule of faith in Jesus, of trusting him to be perfect on our behalf. But here we see we've actually also become God's place. See, just like Jesus replaced that physical temple, his body was the place where God lived among his people. We have become the temple of the Holy Spirit, both individually and collectively as his church. His spirit is in us and empowers us for mission and endurance. He teaches us the truth. He enables us to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. He speaks through us so that when you boldly, bravely, terrifiedly say to your friend, hey, have you ever thought about Jesus? He actually works through you and speaks through you and gives, gives you the power and the wisdom and the words to speak. And he softens people's hearts so that they realise, I need to be on that train. I need to bow the knee to Jesus and accept this incredible gift of salvation. And he reminds us that it's worth hanging on to Jesus, that it's all about him, and he helps us endure through some of the most unimaginable hardships. Well, it's been 1,990 years since Jesus walked out of his tomb. And to us, that feels like an unimaginably long time. To us, it feels like God's been slow in coming. But to a patient God, who loves everyone and wants them to come to repentance. It's not a long time at all. Now is the time for salvation, the time for endurance, the time of the Spirit. Let's make every, the most of every moment until the moment when those doors close forever.